This is Vaya con Muñoz with Natalia Muñoz. WHMP. Hi, everybody. Today I'm going to be talking with my father who has done... Why are you pointing to the dog, Papa? Why are you, talk, why are you pointing to the dog? Oh, you're pointing to Nancy. And his wife, Nancy, este, my stepmother. Uh, how are you doing? Just start with that. I'm doing fine. You said you wanted to talk about the grandchildren. Yes. Okay. Uh, I have 12 grandchildren. Wow. And they are really wonderful. They're a joy to me. Um, they're so totally different. One is amazingly different from the next. Uh, and that really is part of what makes them so delightful. Mm. But more than that, they also interact with each other a great deal. So Nancy, my wife, and I have organized our lives in such a way that we see a lot of them and particularly in the summer, but also in the deep, dead, dark of winter. And that, when we might have the most fun with the grandchildren. So we have a, a little cabin up in the woods, and we tend to spend our winters up there. And the grandchildren, when they come in, they very often come from the different family members and arrive. But when they arrive at the cabin, the first thing they do is to go to the hammock. <laughs> so that sounds counterintuitive. But why would a kid want to go to a hammock? And I have no idea why, but we've collected hammocks uh, from around the world and we string them up in a big room uh, that we use mostly when they're there in the winter. And they they fight over the hammock, and they also play in the hammock. And they've had as many as five people in the hammock. Wow. And so they just uh, in, enjoy themselves in the hammock. And that's where they're sort of interacting. Well, my nieces and nephews, your grandchildren are, they're big now. They still get in the hammock? They, well, the, the one who's 36, the oldest, definitely doesn't get in the hammock. <laughs> well, they actually might. His little brother, who's 34, may or may not. But the other kids go all the way down to ten, age 10. I want to ask you something, um, both of you. We are all family, and we are, what's it called? Like, we're a composed family. <laughs> like... When you married my mother, there were already my two older sisters and me. Right. And then you had Andres and Ana Gabriela, my two si younger siblings. And then when you married Nancy, Nancy already had two children, Annie and Peter. So then all of a sudden there's seven children. Right. What was that merging like? I'm going to go to Nancy. What was that merging like for you at the beginning? Well, it was harder than I thought it would be. <laughs> Um, I, I looked forward to it and I thought I was up to it, but then, then once I was us. in the middle of it, <laughs> <laughs> I would say after the first 20 years, it's, it was great. <laughs> <laughs> okay. 
okay. All right, because, yes, and it was also like the, the merging of not just two different families, mm-hmm. but then of different cultures coming together. And este, I, think, I think it's true, Nancy. Mm-hmm. I think with time um, and maturity, we've, not yours, mm-hmm. but ours, we've, we've, we've come to a place of a lot of love, yes. a lot of great, deep um, love. So I'd like to talk about my children. Okay. So when Nancy came into our lives, it was, I was long since divorced from your mother. And I didn't really know how to handle the merger at all. So. Nancy was expecting something that would be smooth and we'd we'd all have fun and we'd like each other and everything would be great. The first time we met, I hadn't bothered to tell you that I was in love with Nancy (laughs) and that I was planning to marry her. And I don't think I had told you at all, but we met on a dock in Culebra in Puerto Rico and... Nancy arrived on the airplane separate with one of, with her daughter Annie, and you, Natalia, <laughs> disappeared. It was a very small boat; it was only twenty eight feet long, but you disappeared up in the front berth and didn't come back <laughs> until. So Nancy realized that this was going to be a very tough, <laughs> tough sorry. merger. She never saw you at all. You wouldn't talk to her. Oh, I'm sorry, Nancy. No, no, that's all right. So what Nancy's not explaining is the half of it. Mm-hmm. It was, she wanted to have this merger. Mm-hmm. I did. But it was not something that you guys accepted easily. Mm-hmm. And... One can understand it now in retrospect, but the great thing is now, thank goodness, after all these years, you all get along. Yeah, now we're like in our 50s and 60s. (laughs) (laughs) No, but we've been getting along for longer than Mm -hmm. that, actually. There's a, I was thinking the other, the, the other day about this topic we're talking about, and a... You know, I remember when I was a, a little girl, how much I just loved seeing you on weekends when you would come over. Um, we'd go to the go-karts or stock car races and we'd go to the Jersey Shore. And I was remembering how you, you would, um, you would, you know, touch my, my, my head, my pass your hand through my hair and my, and my cheeks and your hands, you know, freckled very like white freckled hands they felt i just was i i just i just i I remember loving you so much and being so happy that you were that you were my daddy and and then so i think that that was probably Mm -hmm. one of the challenges in the merger was now not only was i already sharing you with four siblings now there were two more and they had him full time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And right, and um, and you lived in Puerto Rico though for a while. How was yeah. that experience, Nancy? Well, 
I, I love living in Puerto Rico. I love the building. We lived in this old building that was built in the 1500s, but it was beautifully designed and built. Um, and we, we get you to come over for supper or spend weekends together. And so we that was when we gradually got to know each other, mm -hmm. those first two years mm -hmm. when we were in San Juan. That was long after the boat ride. Yeah, sure, the boat ride had, yeah. And, but what you're talking about is also a two-way street. When I first met you, I liked you. I thought you were great fun. You were tiny. And then when you came to live with me and your mother in New York, you were the most accepting of my role as a father. And... And so the other two didn't, the older two of your siblings didn't really accept it. Mm. But what was then, that like for you? Sorry? How was that for you to see then these other two little girls? I didn't have any idea how to manage them. Yeah. And I probably couldn't manage them. Mm. They had a father, but none of you really spent much time with your real father. No, not at all. And so... You, but I wouldn't say real father. I have to say biological father. Yeah, biological because father. you're the real father. He's the the sperm donor. The problem is, I was taken. It, there was not enough time with you. Your mother and I had problems with each other fairly early, I mean, only four maybe years into your relationship with me. And that really made it difficult. But I had, I had with, I was very close to you from the very beginning, partly because you, you were so young that I think you accepted me more than the other sibling, the the older ones. And that is important because, um, important point, I think, because you were a very young father. How old very you? inexperienced. Yeah, you didn't have any experience. It's like all of a sudden you, you have three children. You adopted us. And that must have been overwhelming in a way as, as much as it may have been very happy. Well, I never had a father... At that age myself, because he was off during the war. So I didn't really know what a father did. How did you learn? Uh, finally, with Peter, I learned. And the, then the Peter, Peter is your youngest son uh, from your, with your marriage with Nancy. How did you learn? Well, he was, it was very similar to you, is that, he accepted me as a father. Mm. His father had died very suddenly and horribly. Mm. So he didn't really have a choice, but I think I'd gotten a little more mature, so I didn't take everything personally. Although with you, I didn't really that much either because we sort of loved each other. Yeah. So my relationship with Peter, I think, was very similar to that with you. Mm. Mm -hmm. And, I, but I also was kind of, 
I was a hothead. Mm-hmm. I would get angry, took things personally. Mm-hmm. And it took a lot of therapy to get out of that. Mm-hmm. When you first became a father, how old were you? For you, I was 30, 30, yeah, that's so maybe young. 29. This is Vaya con Munoz with Natalia Munoz. This is Vaya con Munoz with Natalia Munoz. WHMP. You're hard on yourself. You're hard on yourself. I was good in many ways. Yeah, there's a lot. There's a lot of goodness in your past as a father, um, and I've said this to you before. Um, most fathers, especially if their father is not related by blood, they disappear, and we never hear from them. Este, even though you divorced my mother, and even though you're from another culture, you or we're from different cultures, you stayed. You stayed, and we're all here, all these years later. Nancy, how was it for you then to have, <laughs> to then become a mother to a bunch of, talk about hothead, hothead teenage <laughs> girls, uh, my two older sisters and I, and Andres and Ana Gabriela, the small ones? Well, it was a little scary, and I felt... Uh, I think the cultures played a, a big role that we, I, I grew up with very strict boundaries and strict times that we had breakfast and lunch and went to bed and got into our pajamas and um, sort of rituals that we had as a family that, that your family didn't have. <laughs> <laughs> and so I, I, it was, it was hard to force it on you or to just accept that's that's how you were comfortable. Mm. That was kind of a dilemma. Mm-hmm. And um, we really, we saw Anna and Andres the most probably. Mm-hmm. They came mm-hmm. and spent summers with us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, so I think Anna loved, she, she loved being, living with us and mm-hmm. being with us. Mm-hmm. And I think, um, Andres really loved your mother mm-hmm. all uh, forever. Yeah. She was number one. Mm-hmm. And I was sort of that other woman that mm. <laughs> put rules down. And, mm-hmm. and Yeah, but you were never, you know, there's that, that, that trope about the evil stepmother. Yes. There, this, that has nothing to do with who you are. You have always been mm-hmm. a kind, generous person. But I could see how that would develop. Mm-hmm. Well... <laughs> And David was very protective mm-hmm. of the five over ch- older children, and mm-hmm. he 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 was um, didn't allow me to lay down rules. <laughs> <laughs> so, but I was very concerned that you were sort of second class citizens. Mm-hmm. So here we are, and marrying into a, a family that's already intact, mm-hmm. with two little children whose father had died. Mm-hmm. And and I was m- way oversensitive to the fact that you guys would feel that you weren't equal to Annie and Peter. And a lot of it was just ridiculous. I mean... But, you know, I, I got to say that at the time of this merging of families, that wasn't going on that much. 
that was that was a time when that was still like a new mm-hmm. concept for different cultures to become one family. Este, I remember when este, Teresa was married, este, you and Nancy and my mother, the three, when she married um, the, her two sons' father. Andy Clapp. Uh, yeah, that the person who was doing the marriage said, okay, so who's giving <laughs> Teresa up for marriage? And then the three of you stood up and said, we do. And it was like, excellent. It, because it was all, everybody in this agreement, in uh, agreement, not disagreement, mm-hmm. in this agreement that we are family. And as we've become more in society, in American society, more aware of what the diversity mm-hmm. and how that's important. Um, I, I, I've, so I never felt like you were trying to Americanize us. Um, that wasn't part of it at all. And maybe it would have been simpler if we would have become super Americanized um, for you. But um, you, you respect our culture and our differences. And that's and you grew up in New England which at a time when there wasn't much diversity. So how did how well, did Well, I felt when I met well, first of all, I was working in Puerto Rico. So I was somewhat emerged in well, the say culture. Say more about what you were doing in Puerto Rico. Well, my one job was to organize visits by Peace Corps trainees to rural communities. And so I had to learn enough Spanish so I could set up these meetings. But at the same time, I was also getting to know the culture. And I was falling in love with your mother, who I was working with. And then um, I felt I, I felt great affection for the culture. I could see, like, for example, I was living for a while with a family, and I saw how the children always seemed to get along. And the and the parent. this wasn't you, this was before you. Yeah, no, you, clearly it wasn't us. <laughs> staying in this little tiny shack, and, mm-hmm. and, and I was astounded at how how everything, the kids, the kids just seemed to treat each other very well and the parents seemed to treat the kids very well. And the kids never cried and so on. So this is a very different culture from my own. Yeah, how did, what was your upbringing like? Where were you born? I was born in in Vermont Mm -hmm. and raised there in a family that was sort of agricultural, um, but my father had gone to West Point. He went off to to the army, and my mother ran the farm. And the farm would, couldn't have been less successful financially, but somehow we made it through. And that was the culture I grew up in. What did you have on the farm? What was... What well, was that particular farm was... The one I was born into mm-hmm. had some cows, milk, you sell milk, lots of chickens, you sell chickens and eggs and 
and lots of gar big gardens. And that was basically the way. You it also come from a from a merged family, because then your mother mm -hmm. married another man and had more children. Yes. How was that? What was that experience? How old were you when she? Well, uh, my that? brother and I were very. There were two brothers. My brother and I is the first marriage, and then she married. Her second marriage was like ten years later, and we were delighted. But he was not a father. My stepfather wasn't a father, but he was a good friend. Mm. So he's very tolerant of us, which is probably not so good. It, we got away with a lot. Well, that's good though, right? Well, it was good in some ways. Yeah. And and anyway. What happened to your father when your mother married this other? I, he, my father was never very attentive. He wanted us to be adults. Oh. So that was difficult. That is difficult. And so. He never really was attentive as a father. Or as a husband either, it sounds. Or as a husband. Mm. So I was a lot more attentive than he was. Mm. Those are... I loved having kids. Yeah. Just didn't know how to manage them very well. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I, I didn't know how to balance these two cultures. So what, what, so what, did the, what does that mean, like that you didn't know how to manage these two cultures. Well, it was balancing them and understanding them and the values. Your mother was... She was very different from me in many ways. And she had her own challenges. And we just couldn't... That may have been the balance of cultures that we just couldn't. This is Vaya con Muñoz with Natalia Muñoz, WHMP. Yeah, because I've, I've said this to you before. It's like, what is a New England Yankee doing marrying a Puerto Rican woman? <laughs> este, a farm boy marrying the... Well, I think there's something else. I think that <clears throat> I didn't really have... At the time I met your mother, I really didn't have a passion for my work. I was in, I was in, had been in college, the army, college, graduate school, but I never had anything that really fired me up. And suddenly I was in a job where I realized that I have a, a role in life is to help people <coughs> to work closely together and solve problems. And and I was learning the, the whole technology at the time. So I think that was part of the good and the sometimes the difficulty is that I never really had, had that feeling about about a job that I could possibly do. I just worked before that and was successful but had no real feeling for it and your mother introduced me to 
a way of changing, changing the way people were and worked and so on. And I felt this is a way, I was been concerned about poverty and had seen it and could see that you could do something about poverty. And there was a whole skill set involved. So that was, that was a, a big difference in my role. So you were in the Peace Corps when you were in Puerto Rico? Well, I was a Peace Corps trainer. I wasn't a Peace Corps volunteer. Okay. Nancy was a Peace Corps volunteer in Brazil. Nancy, you went to Brazil? Where mm -hmm. were you in Brazil? Recife. Where's that Recife? It's in Pernambuco. Oh, where's that? <laughs> it's on the very tip where the bulge of Brazil bulges out into the Atlantic Ocean. It's on that bulge. What what the northern part of the bulge. What, <laughs> what what drew you to the Peace Corps? I think it was it was partly because Sally, my sister, had gone to work for the Peace Corps in in Washington when it first started. And then I just always loved that idea of going and helping people. Mm -hmm. What did you do in and Brazil? Saw, in Brazil? Mm -hmm. Well, we went down as medical people, which turned out to be giving people shots from as sort of antiquated mm -hmm. medicine. They, that was the only thing that they would accept. Mm -hmm. And there was no concept of preventative health care. Mm -hmm. And uh, so we very quickly felt we weren't doing good there. Mm -hmm. the people just needed to earn money so they could feed themselves. Mm -hmm. And we ran up a ran into somebody who was lapidating stones and selling them, and he'd set up a series of lapidation machines on singer sewing machines. And so we got, we decided to start up a little, a little business in our community, and we trained these women. He had a woman who worked for him from our community, so mm -hmm. we got her to train about five or six women to, to lapidate some precious stones. And, how did that experience change you or inform yeah. you or inspire you? Or I think that we could do something. And there we were given a lot of freedom. Nobody was really looking at all of us. Mm -hmm. So we could see a need and, and meet it and, and do something unfettered by, by law or people. or and And today... You have, I mean, not just today, but I know that for many years you have been a volunteer in your community mm -hmm. and you ran for a state rep and were elected and joined, what is it, 500 other people from New Hampshire? 400. 400 other, 424. You were a state rep. What moved you then to, to become a state rep, to run for that office? Well, it's... Nancy and I have been both very political, and we both have been involved with the Democratic Party. And um, I was, Nancy and I had had a wonderful time in our lives where we were able to work together in education, basically, of adults things that she had heard, learned and I had learned separately. And so 
the opportunity came to run for state representative and I I just went out and banged on a lot of doors and didn't get elected and then I got elected and served for 10 years in the state of New Hampshire's legislature. And Nancy said that the stories I came and told at night were much funnier <laughs> than they were later as I got and been there longer. And I got to be chairman of a committee and I stopped telling any funny stories. <laughs> but anyway, it was I enjoyed it. And I do think we made an effort, a difference. So Nancy didn't run for office, but she might as well have. She was she was heavily involved with the historical society in the town and a lot of other activities. And so in a way she had more to do with the future of this little town where we are now than I did. We're not going to talk about the historical society <laughs> for reasons that radio listeners do not need to know, but your Nancy, your participation in the community where you live, um, is that an extension of, then of, you know, that's an extension then of who you are, that it wasn't enough to just live in a place mm -hmm. and just live, but also to have, to have an influence and to have a legacy like you did in Brazil also mm -hmm. to make a difference. Um, is that something that you learned as a little girl growing up or did it just, was it, you know, your older sister, Sally, mm -hmm. who's older by, by 10 12 years, 12 years. Yeah. Was it her influence when you saw that she was in the Peace Corps and then you had that experience in Brazil that you realized, well, we can do a lot more than just mm -hmm. stay at home and este, have breakfast, lunch, and dinner? <laughs> well, it, it, um, makes life much more interesting when you're involved and um, and become a part of a community and add to it. And why was joining the Historical Society important for you? Well, it was an age thing. I remember um, somebody came by the house and said, hey, we should start a historical society. And I just was totally uninterested. <laughs> I, was, I was very involved in the work with David and mm -hmm and the kids, and I, I showed no interest at all. But about 10 years later, mm -hmm. it suddenly appealed to me, mm -hmm. and I was ready for it. Mm -hmm. And so I got, got involved very, very much. What kind of things have you done with the Historical Society? Well, we um, first we took this building that was falling apart, and we raised money and created a beautiful museum. Wow. And uh, we have brought in a lot of speakers. We do a lot of programs. We work with the schools. We have programs for the schools, the little school that's in our town, 26 kids. <laughs> the 26 kids in the school? Sweet. Yeah. It's also the number one elementary school in New Hampshire. Oh, wow. But that's partly because it's so small. <laughs> and the community pretty much supports it. This is Vaya con Muñoz with Natalia Muñoz. No You're being involved in, in politics, 
with David, my, my father, eh, eh, how come you were never like, oh, I want to run for public office? I just never wanted to run for public office. Oh, okay. Office. Never wanted to run. I'm a behind-the-scenes person. Okay. <laughs> You're the power behind the throne. Right, the power behind the throne. <laughs> um, public service, if we can talk about that, the... the you came up at a time when like when Robert Kennedy was a uh, really talking a lot mm -hmm. about public service and did he have an influence on you Robert Kennedy didn't mm. I I thought he was I didn't like him Oh my goodness <laughs> wait a minute Wow <laughs> I I thought he horned in on on McGovern and mm. um rode on the coattails of that that And then Nixon came in And then Nixon came in yeah Yeah, yeah. And then we had that, and the continuation of the, the well, war. David, David did like Robert Kennedy. He was very inspired by him. And, and What was it about Robert Kennedy that you liked? Well, I felt that he would... I'd been working for five years in East Harlem, and I felt that it wasn't... That Eugene McCarthy was sort of a white liberal male who didn't really understand how rough it was in East Harlem. And so I guess I, so we, fortunately we didn't know each other at the time to argue about it. But, <laughs> but Nancy's also overlooking something else. She has helped a town, a very small town, become aware of its history. And history is critical to, to everything. And so she formed the, really founded the Historical Society. There was something with there. With other people. With other people. Yeah, with other people. And then she helped develop something called the Historic District Council, or HCC. And that was to approve buildings that were, there was a lot of sort of people tearing down old buildings and things like that, which was defying their history of these buildings. And so she got into it in a way that has enormous, has had and still has enormous influence on the town itself. The, the, what do you think about the era we're in now, politically? I think it's chaotic. And I think I say that the ship is listing hard to starboard, but it will right itself. All right. I really want to believe that. Nancy, what's starboard? Is that east, west, right, left? What? You told <laughs> depends, me and I forgot. <laughs> depends which way you're facing. Okay, so when is so it starboard? You're facing the bow, it's on the right. Where's the bow? <laughs> the front of the boat. Okay, so then starboard is on the right. Yeah. But you're always facing the bow because... No, you can face the stern. The, the stern is the and back? And the right is the stern is the back. Uh-huh. And then your right is on the port side. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Okay, I'm going to try to hold on to that. It's, just, it's always it's confusing to me. And also the same question to you, Nancy, of what do you make of this era that we're living in? I, I feel it's very scary. I, I am worried about it. And I hope that we can find peacemakers and 
mediators who can bring us together. Yeah, me too. It's it's um. There's between so there's the climate change which which seems to be the mm-hmm. the biggest thing because mm-hmm. if we don't address that then we can't address anything else because the human race won't survive mm-hmm. that. Um, do you see leadership in the Democratic Party um, nationally? Do you see that? Do you see that there's the, the the leadership that we need to address this? Well, I think Biden has done a lot, but. He's not perceived as a leader and has trouble getting people inspired to to want to do what he wants us to do. This is Vaya con Muñoz with Natalia Muñoz. WHMP. Because I think he's done a lot. Made a lot happen that he's not recognized for. Yeah, and I don't think he's the leader for our times. Well, then who would be the leader mm-hmm. for our times? You think? I don't know who it would be, but yeah. somebody who could f- put fire in our bellies to move ahead and change things. Who was the last president mm-hmm. who you felt put fire in our bellies? <laughs> it was probably J. F. John John Kennedy. What do you think, that? I agree. Everything Nancy said just now, I totally agree with, and I think. But I think, um, I also have faith. If I have faith in Kamala Harris, most people don't give her the time of day, and I think she's got great potential. But we'll never know the way things are now. Well, yeah, she does have great potential. I just never see her. Mm-hmm. She seems very behind the scenes. And she's the vice president. So I don't know if that's because she wants to be behind the scenes or if the Biden team Mm -hmm. wants her. her. Yeah, keeps her there because she could steal his thunder, which actually would be a good thing for the Democratic Mm -hmm. Party. Yeah, but she doesn't see it that way, I guess. So, But you see she's doing some very interesting things. Yeah, like what? And, well, one thing is she is trying to help reduce the demand for coming north on the part of Central Americans. And there are organizations that she's trying to help do that. And she recognizes that building the, finishing the wall is ridiculous and expensive and doesn't work anyway. So I think she's working quietly on that. Mm. And Go ahead. So, and I think she's she's involved with a number of sort of small efforts. She's very smart and just very quiet. Maybe well, right now, my feeling is that the other side, when it's if we're talking about people who support Trump, that isn't another side. That feels like another planet. That's so full of hate, mm-hmm. uh, that side, and prejudices, bigotry. Um, it's not like disagreeing with like either of the Bush people, the father and the son who became president. And they just were very conservative people, uh, very pro-business people, also very pro-war people. Mm-hmm. Um, but this, what we have with, the, with this resurgence of national divisions, 
okay, we started this program talking about your grandchildren. So what is then the, what is, what would you like your grandchildren to know about the future of this country? Nancy, you for, or should I go here? Which way should I go with this question? That you can make a difference. And we have, we have a great grandchild who is making a difference. And she's out there, um, very political and very oriented toward peace. And so she's really leading the whole family, even though she's a great-grandchild at age 16. Mm-hmm. So she, she is the great hope. And I think, I think she also listens. So she's 17. Oh, she's 17? She's 17 yeah. now. Oh. And now she's fighting. Oh, that's right. We share the same birthday. She became 17? Yeah, yeah so she is battling the mayor of Woonsocket, Rhode Island. <laughs> and and the mayor, every time the mayor sees her, the mayor gets upset. <laughs> and I think it probably is doing a very good job. And she's sort of encouraging everybody to listen to each other. And here she's only 17 years old. So I think it's great hope. And... So do you think then with that great hope with, you know, this particular great grandchild? First of all, wow, to have a great grandchild. Wow, Nancy. Okay. So <laughs> we had a moment of wow. They can make good things happen. And both Turn it around. <laughs> and both of you have been change agents for most of your lives, yes. whether in public service. And you have two, Natalia. Okay, but this is all about you guys. It's not about me. We are at the end of our program. You've all been listening to a conversation I'm having with my father and my stepmother. And so you get to know a little bit more about merge, you know, families that come from different places and how we became one family. In the end, we did become one family. Not the end, end, but eventually, I should say, we did become one family. We are becoming... And I'm really grateful to both of you for opening that path for me. It has enriched my life so much to get to know Peter and Annie as adults. I knew them when they were children, but unfortunately, I wasn't ever very interested in children. So, <laughs> but I'm very interested in, in how they're doing and their families, and there's a lot of great love. And you both are the ones that made that possible. So thank you for this conversation. And thank you, the listeners, for tuning in. Thank you.